ladies and gentlemen, fellas and sheilas. Welcome to another bonus No Rules Rules episode of Vault Supreme Synth VGM Dream Stream Machine Podcast. The podcast that usually plays the synthiest video game of all game music of all time. But recently we've gone totally off the rails with bonus episodes. And once again, we're going to be diving deep into the world of film music. So, in this episode, the artist in the spotlight is one of the greatest film composers of all time, and obviously one of my personal favourites. It's the Italian film composer Ennio Morricone. Now, sadly, the maestro passed away last year at the ripe age of 91, and I thought it would be great to both celebrate his life as a composer and also hopefully um, share some of his music to folks who may not be too familiar especially with his huge range of work he's got. So, ladies and gentlemen, it also gives me great pleasure to introduce this episode's special guest who will be helping me take on this epic, epic task. Fells and Sheilas, all the way from the dark recesses of Melbourne, Australia, he's the front man of legendary band Sex on Toast and an all-round creative genius. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Angus Leslie. Welcome to the show, Angus. What a kind introduction. Yeah, and also a shout-out to all the... Uh, all the non-binary listeners as well. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here to talk about any of it right about now. Awesome, thank you. Well, first, let me congratulate you on your recent achievements. As all the listeners of this podcast know, your band Sex on Toast made the top 30 Australian songs of all time list, and you managed to take out 13th, 9th, 4th, and 1st place. <laughs> I, I, didn't I, we first. I didn't know we were first place. I, I haven't been. I haven't been keeping up. What's which one was first place? Well, f- first place is obviously Oloretta. Ah, that old chestnut. Yeah, that old chestnut. Well, you know, seven million, seven million streams can't be wrong. <laughs> no, definitely not. Especially from Australia. That's the amount. Seven million streams from Australia is probably about seven hundred million when you boost it up to an American standard or something like that. Well, Americans like that song, I've, I've found. Um, the only the only place we've um, seen covers come out of is America, for, of, of, of Loretta. Although there was a band, I, my friend sent me a band in Darwin covering it, so that's, that's cool too. So not only, but um, yeah, man, thank you. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think 13 was, is it Try It Out? The Tone version? Tone version. Ah, yeah. Yeah, it's just got to have one of my favorite vocal performances of all time on that song. You are a very, uh, very sweet man. Thank you so much. Actually, just some trivia um, about those vocal performances. They were hard work! <laughs> I can imagine. There was a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of different takes. There's a lot of Frankensteining going on in the licks. I remember I actually edited the licks together, all the um, R&B licks I was doing. Um, and also, because we were recording that and For You at the same time, I actually remember For You being harder. That was a harder thing. That was a harder thing to um, chorus and verse so many times. And it's still, I still don't like it whenever I hear it. I still think I could do that better. Anyway. <laughs> that's, a sh- that's a shame because I think that it got maybe ninth or fourth. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was yeah. That was the that was that rainy winter of 2017. That those two things were recorded. Amazing stuff. Anyway, I think we also we also got an Umlaut song on there as well. So why don't before we get into the songs, why don't you just 
quickly uh, introduce any other projects you might be involved in, and then we'll we'll get playing some Ennio Morricone. Uh, well, you just mentioned Umlaut, and um, I'm interested to hear what Umlaut song made the uh, made the best list. Um, is it like Terra or something? Elangitasia from yeah, that's Cal- that's the one. Yep. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's a that was um a lot of the overdubs and that were done in my studio actually. Um, I yeah, I enjoyed making that record. That's a that's a classic. That's a classic kind of lo-fi um, uh, horn arrangement punk record. yeah well i've had people say that they're they're interested in hearing more songs from sex and toast and what after listening to last week's or like the other day's um episodes that's cool yeah well umlaut umlaut i mean doing umlaut since i was 20 years old and um that's with bear anyone who's listening now bear from um mr bungle um and secret chiefs three he's a really talented dude um and uh, we're actually recording, starting work on a new record this week. So other projects, uh, I've been working with a, a mysterious uh, entity by the name of Electric Self. We'll be releasing something new this year and um, uh, hopefully like another EP. We, Electric Self put out uh, Electric Self Act 1 and last year. Um, yeah, we're going to get stuck into Electric Self Act 2 and a full-length Electric Self album. Um, and I, uh, I've been doing some some assorted production work. I'd really like to get back into some more songs with this great singer from Newcastle called Georgie Jones. We did a single last year that was pretty, pretty good times. Yeah, but also I think there's some... There's some work for Sex on Toast on the horizon. Some mysterious plans are being formulated as we speak. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, maybe we'll get the music going. So basically what we're going to do tonight is Angus and I have picked six songs each and we're going to take turns playing our songs. Shout out to the, to the maestro having an incredible innings Um you know, I mean, he, he, he lived a long and full life and and made a lot of incredible music and we're very, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about one of my favourite musicians of all time right now. Yeah, me too. Well, it was pretty hard work <laughs> trying to pick six songs out of like more than yeah. 400 film scores and all, yeah, not to mention all the other work that he's done as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's kick things off with my first pick. Um... We obviously heard the famous Spaghetti Western theme song from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly as the opening track. And sticking with the Western vibes, I wanted to play a very simple but very nice little song from the 1968 film Once Upon a Time in the West. And it's Cheyenne. I love this too. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy and we'll be back soon.
So that was an incredibly simple song, but a very memorable melody. I think the Spaghetti Western tunes are probably what people know of most. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, I I think that those films are pretty amazing, you know, um, and the scores are amazing. It does bug me sometimes if that's all people think about. I'm sure that you feel the same way. But also the fact that something like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is so firmly you know, established in popular culture is very cool, you know, especially when you think about where Enio comes from in the first place. It definitely, would you want to talk a bit about where he, where he comes from? Well, I mean, the fact that he comes kind of from the avant-garde, um, which I've got a selection um, of that kind of music that I've chosen that I'll probably talk about a little later, but I mean, it makes sense that he comes from the avant-garde because of the odd instrumentation choices you know like even just like using kind of like these these howling voices and screeching and whistling and i mean that's obviously just something that he decided was um his sonic palette that he felt he could draw from you know like kind of drawing from anything um but the kitchen sink but yeah something like cheyenne it's just like that that's a simple um, su- simple instrumentation, but it just really lights up what's going on on the screen. But I, yeah, I think that this, the the Leone films are really great. But it's, I really like. Um, I don't remember the director, so forgive me there. I'm probably um, a bit more of a noob when it comes to films. Sometimes, um, shout outs to Gene Litzer who would uh, agree. But even like Death Ride the Horse. Um, have you seen that? Um, no, I um, would also claim to be a bit of a film noob. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I, I always mean to see the films that the, the music's from, and I have seen a lot of them, um, but sometimes I, I'm, you know, might miss a few. But, yeah, that is great. Death Rides a Horse with Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef being the bad from The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, really, I really think that those... Um, Yeti westerns are just so great and so funny and better than like better than any American western you know like that that that, that's an odd flavor Ben Eastwood is brilliant and um, yeah at certain points I I I have said that The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is my favorite film of all time I don't know anymore if it is but maybe I have to watch it again it's actually been a few years since I've watched it but um, I think that like he really created a sound with, uh, with those films um no scores that people are still stealing from today yeah it was like it became the new standard of spaghetti western music and western in general totally you know and you know what's funny with with ennio is i feel like he he abandoned that style because he felt like he was being typecast by it or something the one time i've heard him come back to the spaghetti western type of scoring i don't know if you've seen it, have you um, the, have you ever seen the Oliver Stone film U-Turn? No, I don't think I've even heard of it. It's great. It's, it's got Sean Penn, um, Sean Penn in it, and uh, Jennifer Lopez and Nick Nolte. And there's some there's some scoring in there that is just so spaghetti western. And it, it feels like maybe Oliver Stone said, you know, come on, man, like <laughs> I can't do it because it's set in the in the desert, kind of, and. Um, yeah, I found it kind of cool to hear him. And I think it was in the 90s. I think it was maybe like 1997 or something. But you can hear Ennio kind of 
harkening back to his spaghetti western style of writing. Yeah, well, I think yeah, the spaghetti western was definitely my gateway into learning more about Ennio Morricone. Yeah, that's basically where I started. I'm sure most people are the same as well. Well, I, interestingly enough, the, the way that I discovered Ennio Morricone's music um, wasn't from really from any films. Um, or even sort of uh, exposure to any records or anything. My parents had the friends, um, Graham Lee and Patrick Cronin, and they started this band called the Ennio Morricone Experience. Oh, really? In Melbourne, yeah, who later became known as the Spaghetti Western Orchestra. But originally they were the Ennio Morricone Experience, and they would do these these gigs at sort of these hip little places like and I first saw them do um, do a gig I was de- actually deep into sample based hip hop at the time I really liked any sort of aggressive sample based hip hop I think my favourite artist was Buster Rhymes I was about 14 and I was watching I was watching them perform and I was like my first thing I was thinking like man like I gotta sample this like I had the ability to sample things <laughs> but, I, but yeah I, I heard it then it was, it was a standalone musical experience for me um, and I knew the good the bad and the ugly because everybody knows that it's classic it's actually completely classic but I remember watching them perform it as like live musicians and doing all the the, the and all the whistling and I was kind of blown away and then I guess that was when I was quite young and then after I got into um, the music of Mr. Bungle um, later I was real I realized that they were covering Enio all the time yeah and all their live shows yeah all their live shows and, and also like Mike Batten covering uh, that Enio song with Phantomas and you know like they were they were super into it so I kind of came back to seeing those guys. I remember seeing them at the Corner Hotel, not um, Mr. Bungle, I wish, um, but uh, the Ennio Morricone experience and kind of watching them do their thing with all their percussion instruments and vibraphone and shakers. And I'm like, wow, like this is sort of the same flavor as what I've seen Bungle do live, at least with maybe the California tour and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, of course, the other, you know, when they had Willie Winant playing um, vibraphone, but, you know, these guys had a vibraphone and it was like, well, but I get where this, how this is all kind of connected to different things and my appreciation for it um, kind of skyrocketed and then I started really investigating all of that music, um, especially all those cover songs, the odd cover songs that Bungle were doing, you know, like ones that you would not necessarily find that easily unless you were kind of a I don't know a, a, diving through the archives yeah diving through the archives or, or, a, or a, an Italian film enthusiast or film music enthusiast you know I came at it I guess through non-Italians um, playing cover versions of it yeah alright well how about we get to your first pick then sure um, my first pick is um, from the film I believe it's called Forbidden Photos of a Woman Above Suspicion or maybe Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion um, it's uh, a really beautiful 
theme uh, called Amore Come Dolore. I don't think I'm pronouncing the Italian properly. Forgive me! Um, but uh, funnily enough, Joel, this film is terrible! <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine many of the films he scored are terrible. Well, I don't know. I, this, was the, this is the only one that I've seen that I really struggled with. I, I, I thought it would be cool. It's a giallo film um like a murder mystery kind of thing but it just drags on and on and on and it's just it's just it's a really unlikable flick this is um not the main theme which i also love um but it's a really nice theme from that um from that film sweet well let's give it a listen and we'll be back soon Thank you. 
so that was forgive my Italian pronunciation amore come 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 amore come dolore um, that's how I think it's pronounced uh, speak Spanish but not Italian so I could be incorrect um, yeah I mean speaks for itself really absolutely incredible string writing um, the way that the melody is orchestrated when the drums and bass line come in blows my mind every time I love how the that melody he's he's orchestrating it with like a harpsichord and then there's just these little these little extra notes possibly either on a piano or a harp only playing some of the melody notes so that's a great Morricone signature trick that I really think is brilliant a little accents coming in every now and then yeah yeah it's a, it's amazing you know and he really like I just love the way he um he used groups of instruments you know like this is a good a good podcast because I can actually talk about technical musical things a little bit um but you know he'll he'll have a melody that trades off between like the harpsichord um and piano for one phrase and then the next phrase will be I don't know like harp and glockenspiel and um I don't know something else <laughs> you know I, I'm I'm struggling to think of an example but I, I just yeah I know what you mean that I think that was one of the big things I picked up on when I first started listening to his music yeah. um even if it's just yeah the glockenspiel over the top of the melody even if it's like a vocal melody with glockenspiel and yeah. harpsichord in the background yeah it just all oh, it just sounds very unique and very Morricone absolutely yeah he he he, he created a real language and it's beautiful and European as well. There's something very European about it. I can almost, I can almost see Colosseums, you know, when I hear these sounds. And, um, now Joel, you, um, speaking of Giallo scores, you've got a, you've got an absolute ripper song, um, that you've chosen coming up next. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite of his. And I um, know how you discovered this. Um, how did I discover this? Yeah. Literally just, just going through piles of scores. Wow, really? Yeah. Right, because I, I, I knew about this one because of the Disco Volante tour bootlegs of Mr. Bungle. Um, yeah, I haven't, like, I don't think I got much into the Disco Volante, um, live concerts. I definitely watched a few and enjoyed them, but I never, I don't think I ever stopped and thought, oh, what, what are these... Um, cover songs they're playing in between. Right, right. Uh, yeah. But maybe when I, maybe that's why I liked it so much when I first heard it because my my brain had been primed and it was ready yeah. to go. But um, yeah. So this is uh, if, also forgive me as I try to pronounce any of this stuff. La Lusitola, um, from the 1971 Una Lusitola con la pelle di donna, a lizard in woman's skin. This is... I think it's pronounced La Lucertola. Yeah, I'll put all the uh, titles in the description as well so people can actually find it without trying to decipher what we're saying. But um, yeah, this is... uh, I think this is a a beautifully creepy song. So let's give it a listen and we'll, we'll be back soon.
But the it's, it's such a nice big build-up. Yeah. It just stays really quiet for a long time, and then right at the end of that A section, I guess you'd call it, um, it just builds up, builds up, and almost feels like it's going towards something triumphant. And then I can only describe it as the the whole thing just literally sinks into this madness with all that chromatic stuff going on. It's just so good. I, yeah, I, I, it's a great melody. Um, yeah, one thing I, I like about what he does there is the way that the trumpet sort of colors in the melody for like a few notes when it goes like da 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 da, and then it just goes bop, 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 just four notes of the melody, and it's like, whoa, okay. That's, I feel like that's this Burt Bacharach influence, actually, when I hear stuff like that. Um, because Baccarat has some oddball little arrangement, I you know, arranging and orchestrating ideas like that quite often. Um, yeah, man, I I love that. I think, um, yeah, and it's a great it's a great film too. But no one see it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, dude, some sometimes like some of the songs are very simple, like the um, uh, Cheyenne song. That's a pretty straightforward track. Yeah. It's just simple, well written melody. And but there's a lot of uh, Morricone stuff. That when the way he writes to me seems like he's just like very free, and the melodies and chords often just completely move away from the main key. Mm. Sometimes multiple times within a few bars, and I know at least for me, if I'm not paying attention, I you almost don't even notice it. It's so perfectly done yeah well he's yeah it's, it's seamless and he's good he's a good writer so it just it's uh, you know it, it sounds like it sounds natural and intuitive and but yeah he definitely had some great changes and that's a great example of a of a song with some great chord changes um one of the things he said though i, I remember reading um was like someone asked him about i think it was the interview he did with donald fagan from steely dan where he doesn't um he doesn't give him much but he it's something about like why do you think your music resonates with people like do, and then I think Ennio said something like because my songs start in one key and end in the same key <laughs> well, something like that, like, my piece is my, my songs rather not rather not songs but I don't know it was just funny like maybe it was the spaghetti western ones he was referring to um, but yeah once you get into this more giallo stuff he, he scored there's some pretty pretty damn interesting um pretty damn interesting stuff i mean i really i love um i love the spaghetti western scores but i really love these ones i think they're incredible yeah me too i could probably stay on the um the late 60s early 70s tracks for an entire episode but absolutely uh, and i i had to throw out a lot of my favorite songs to just for the sake of getting a little bit more variation yeah um, and we should also mention the vocalist. Is it yeah. Eda Del Orso? Yeah, Eda. Eda Del Orso. Um, yeah, she's yeah, amazing. She's, well, she was on the score. She was on his scores from the early '60s. You know, I saw here that that she was actually on um, on the Imalamondo one, which is pretty early one of his. Which I, there's actually I've I've included a, um, a tune from tune from that. Uh, in my selections but yeah she's uh she was a powerhouse and she's she just did so many sessions with him you know one of his one of his uh 
more the trust and patience is the same. And I actually looked uh, looked her up before, and she was still recording uh, in 2018 with a, an Italian film composer called Alex Pudu, and um, she's 85 years old. You know, <laughs> amazing. I love to hear what she sounds like now because, you know, as a singer, I always worry as a singer that my voice is going to give up, give out. You know, so maybe she's looked after her voice. Well, I, I mean, I do have a track coming up later on that I think she's in, and that's from the early mid '90s. So that's about as close as we're going to get on this episode. Wow! 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 Cool. I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I guess I hadn't kept track of it, but. I have heard so many tunes um, with her on on them, from the spaghetti western to the giallo to yeah, to kind of almost everything. But um, I wanted to talk now about another uh, another vocalist um, who video worked with, and now um, because we've been focusing largely on his scoring, and, and it's, it's a lot of his work is his scoring, um, but. One of the things that he did um, early on was actually write pop songs. And um, this song, um, Se Te Lo Telefonando um, by, by Mina, is so great. And it's, it's just totally written by Ennio. And it's like interesting because at the same time he was doing all this avant garde stuff. Um, but he he wrote this huge Italian pop song, and Mina's just a, such a such a staple of Italian pop music. Um, but apparently, the melody of this song was composed um, and uh, around a, a siren that was that that was like around Rome or something. There was a siren that would go off all the time that was recognizable. So the melody's based around. A siren, which is awesome. Um, still, him sort of like taking these—I don't know—these ins- these inspirations from these kind of odd sounds, and, and in this case, um, utilizing them in a pop context. So yeah, I really wanted to just focus for a minute on Ennio as a pop writer because he really he he could write a catchy tune. Yeah, I actually um, I've been searching. Maybe you can help me later, but I've been searching for a particular vocal track of his and I cannot find it for the life of me and I don't remember the name of it because it was in Italian and I've I've just been plowing through all these um, pop songs of his and yeah it's amazing yeah I don't know I mean the discography is so immense I mean I looked I had like a filmography just of the things he scored and like I had this document this was years ago this was like 10 years ago and I remember looking at the year 1971 and it was like he would have had to do a film score finish a whole film score every month and then some there was more so that's pretty incredible yeah and often he's got like some of his very best scores all in the one year yeah yeah it's nuts and that was no 71 was a good one I remember thinking um but uh, if you find that pop song, please tell me. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear it. I want to hear what it is. I want to hear what it is. Uh, me too. Anyway, we can talk about it later. Let's hit this hit this track. It's you want to introduce it again? Se telefonando. Se telefonando. More shout outs to Gene. Me speaking Italian. Take it. <laughs> Amiga. 
that's when you know that's when you know it's Ennio because he has these odd background vocals like dun, 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 dun. I don't know why I'm singing like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I'm gonna keep that in. Yeah, the um the pop sensibility, you know, I mean it's just a total like epic pop song. It keeps moving up and up and up. But I just love that that I, I could I could watch that video of her doing it live on television. And when it gets to that bit, it's just like transcendent. You know, you just want to put it on again. <laughs> yeah, I, that song was like, it's just, it's on 10 the whole time. 10 out of 10. Um, it's just, it, it's intense, but it's not, it's not overpowering. Yeah. It's just. It has Italian, it certainly has Italian drama, you know. Definitely, yeah. Well, let's move on to our next track, I think. Um, so, again, this is another um track from a soundtrack from 1971 and it's from the movie Varushka Poesia di una donna Poetry of a Woman I reckon that's that's Varushka Varushka it's Russian or something isn't it yeah yeah but anyway this is this is one of my favorite soundtracks it's beautiful it's creepy and everything in between so this track is the title track, Verushka. Uh, so let's give it a listen. Yeah.
I didn't know that one. That's really great, Joel. Yeah, I was saying it was one of the, um, probably one of the later soundtracks that I found. I was actually scanning through Spotify and just seeing what there was, and I saw the, um, I saw the cover, and it's a really bizarre looking cover wow. with this weird face, and, um, it was from 1971, which is a good year. Another one of those <laughs> 1971 scores, you know? Yeah. Among and it's, among it's yeah, this is one of my favorite scores. It's... It's got some stuff that's so creepy that I don't even listen to it, and oh. some really kind of beautiful, weird stuff like this. So I like, I, it. I like it when he gets when he gets a bit creepy and 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 avant-garde. I think I think it's pretty fun, but it's great when it's juxtaposed with just total beauty like that. Yeah, that's literally the um, the whole album. It, you know what it reminds me of. Um, I'm trying to remember the name. It's a Secret Chiefs album that came out, and I think it was it was basically half an album and half a score. It was a score, mm. yeah. I know the one you mean. The Lemani something. It's like him doing Trey doing a like a Giallo score. Yeah, and it it really reminds me of the way he did that because he's got some pretty creepy songs just kind of yeah 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 put through with the really it's and it's the vocals as well it's it's amazing how well she can it seems like she's totally just giving it up to morricone bruno nicolai and piccioni and all those guys um and also they're like just thinking about that track especially um and also the lizard um luce tola the use of the types of reverbs and echoes that they had in those times is really cool and interesting. Yeah. And I it's, like I, it gives it a real dreamy kind of sound, doesn't it? Yeah. I feel like Trey tried to get that sound kind of um, with the um, with his string because he, he often put these big um, big delays on the, on the strings. I guess the difference with him is he doesn't have access to a full string section, um, but he's kind of got that knack of making um making a few string players sound like a string section yeah and i really love the strings in that last song just the way they kind of swell in and out and in i wouldn't really call it an awkward way but it's just for me yeah my mind it's it's not the predictable kind of string swells you would expect no no it's really it's really kind of beautiful quasi classical kind of writing i really i really dig it also shout out to the weird drum part in that <laughs> oh with, yeah because you've got the delay going and the um and the uh <laughs> yeah the hi-hat and the tapping on the snare or whatever it's just like yeah just cl- clicking and clacking all over the place super weird and speaking of weird my next pick um i was talking before about the film um imalamondo which i haven't seen sorry but um, I think it's like part of like a kind of Italian Mondo films. Um, uh, Mondo Cane being one of those films. But um, this is called Musculi de Veluto. And I actually did discover this, I'll admit, from a Mr. Bungle bootleg. Um, but this, the original version is so great. Um, the orchestration is really odd and um, it's kind of got like a 
I don't know. It's it's like a, a, a fun little party song or something, or kind of with these rock and roll kind of you know early sixties because this was from sixty four, early sixties rock and roll influences. But then these crazy horns and oh look, I'll just put it on. Let's just put it on. Fucking <laughs> about it. But I really I'm looking forward to this because I either don't remember it or haven't heard it. So, well, let's uh, let's let's dive in, Joel. Let's dive in. All right. Crack that song. was a journey and a half i do i do remember that song i don't think i could ever forget that little (laughs) yeah i love it i love that the yeah the main vocal is just this kind of like kind of crooning with no words (laughs) and the thing is i about verushka i love this halfway between um like words and on, like an onomatopoeia yeah, or something that like he does. It's so well, maybe I don't know because it means like when Edda, it, when Edda does it, it sounds like she's saying words, but then and it's like no, it's, it's almost like an Italian person making fun of English sometimes. <laughs> yes, I, I've definitely done that myself in 
in the other direction. But um, well, yeah. But this, oh man, the uh, yeah, that tune is great, and I love how ham-fisted the musicians sound sometimes. Like I feel like the string player makes a big mistake, and the guitar player, like rhythm playing, is a little bit like. <laughs> And that little solo at the end is just like it's it's got this almost Italo Italo folk song vibe, or you know you can imagine someone sort of playing that in some little village, and then he and then he starts playing his um kind of rock and blues licks. Yeah. All right, boys, let's turn it up a notch. <laughs> yeah, but actually, I, I kind of incorrectly called it more rock and roll than it is. I mean, it's kind of it's almost like a, a nineteen. 50s 60s lounge track more than anything but it has got it does have that good chunk of rock and roll in there yeah the sax break is pretty it's pretty rocking i guess but yeah a lot of organs and but it's so delicate still it's 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 a weird odd little tune with some 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 really um strange ideas and it's played in this kind of bizarre way but it's so intricate every little Every little blend of instruments is is perfectly um, in its in its own uh, odd little world. I just love that piece of music. It's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad you picked it because I'd completely forgotten about it. Although as soon as I heard it, I remembered straight away. Like I said, it's very hard to forget. And that's probably a good transition song into my next pick as well because I've oh, yeah. gone for something a lot more. Um, how do you say less trippy and psychedelic and something a lot more happy and joyful so wow. I don't know get... this one I don't I've never so this is this will be a good one for me maybe maybe uh, um, I yeah maybe I've never heard this it's it's right. in a similar vibe it's, it, to me it seems like it has a little bit of a sense of humour about it um, but yeah anyway I'll try to pronounce this this is Punto e Basta Totally detest us. So it's the title, the title credits, or the title, um, the title music anyway that plays at the beginning of the show, and it's from the 1967 film Ad Ongi Costo, otherwise cool. known as Grand Slam. So yeah, I've got a little irrelevant story to tell about this when we come back, but let's hit it, and we'll be back soon. Fantastic.
So there you go. That is, um, oh wait, I lost my notes. I need my notes to pronounce any of these songs. Punto e Basta, Totoli de Testa from Ad Ongi Costo, Grand Slam. Yeah, that's awesome. I've never heard that. That's got to be one of my favorite things I've heard um, that I hadn't heard yet um, of late of, uh, of Morricone's. I mean, you know, I, I noticed when he passed too that I was, you know, I was looking around and trying to find some stuff for a playlist. I was trying to make playlists for people. Um, and I was finding these things and I was like, wow, I'd never heard this. And, and also the the way he's such a master at arranging it for anything, um, it's kind of mind-blowing really. I mean... <laughs> I love hearing his horn arranging, like he's like, you know, big horn section um, arranging. I think it's really... Yeah. Some of those bits are pretty epic in that song. It goes from... I I honestly think the La La La's, they remind me of like the Muppets singing or something yeah. like that. And then you've got that big horn section that comes in that's just really epic. The big drum sounds like, yeah, it's pretty much like a... That's a straight punk beat most of the way through that song. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I really like um, I really like the the way that you can hear the again like in the horn playing, um, well not not the horn playing so much as the horn writing. You can hear the Bacharach influence. <laughs> so the first the first phrases of the writing, and he, he did acknowledge Bacharach as an influence. I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. They, I, I think they, yeah. I, without knowing anything ab- about who influences who, there's definitely some similarities in both of them that I really, yeah. really love. Absolutely. I've, yeah, I've got a, just a little story about that. So when I started going out with my wife, I very quickly learned that she didn't share uh, almost any of <laughs> my love of music and the kind of music that I loved. I would, I started sending her stuff, and she's like, "Why do you, Why do you even like this?" But, <laughs> but this song, I've got a good memory with this song because this is this is one maybe the very first song that I sent her, um, and that she actually really loved. And so yeah, that's my little bit of nostalgia for for uh, that song. Although. It, it didn't. It didn't make it to the um, walking down the aisle uh, background <laughs> track, unfortunately. Didn't you have the Julian Cohen playing as you walked down the aisle? Yes, I did. I did. Oh my that god! Was, oh no, he, not not walking down the aisle. So we had uh, a family member um, just doing acoustic guitar a bit with the walking down the aisle, but uh, but when everyone was hanging out, we had the mango balloon playing, which was that's awesome. Uh, 
Yeah, it was, it was so good. My my in-laws were, they were like, all right, we'll let you pick the music, whatever. They a bit more like my wife. They don't, they wouldn't trust me at all with music selection. I've gained a little bit of respect over the years, but everyone, everyone at the wedding was like, that band was amazing, and it really was. It's just like having That's great. a first class band playing just amazing music. I loved it. And was and was Pfeiffer there? No, he wasn't, which I was disappointed about. But in the end, it didn't matter because um, I forget his name, but the percussionist yeah. probably came instead. He's pretty brilliant anyway. Yes, it's very good. I mm. want to know too what the hell you were sending your wife. Like, what are you sending her? Like, Cannibal Corpse or something? <laughs> Check out the music, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, okay, so if I had have sent any of the previous songs, right. she probably, maybe um, Cheyenne, she would have, she would have liked. Um, I have strong memories of, uh, <laughs> this is the dumbest thing now, looking back in retrospect, but sending a uh, live video of The Residents to her. And oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> I, you know, I can't. I've all, I've got this I do have a serious problem you know like I can't I can't pick birthday presents for people because all I can think about is stuff that I want um, maybe that's so. yeah maybe that's something to um, something to look at um, but also I if you were buying me a birthday present and you bought me an album by the residents I wouldn't be mad just saying yeah okay. but you know that's that's part of the thing of having a a wife, they, they, you know, they challenge you in many, many areas. Well, I want to know if your wife would like the next election of mine, um, and I'd like you to tell me uh, later. I think this this tune is one of my favourites um, ever, ever by Ennio. Um, I had a burnt disc. I look, it's so weird because now I'm old and I don't remember exactly why. But so old. I was eighteen. And I got given a burnt disc of um, of all of this odd Morricone stuff. That's where I first kind of had – it was a compilation of more 70s stuff. And uh, Amore Come Dolore was on it, the one that we played earlier from um, Citizen well, – no, not Citizen, um, Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. So that's where I first heard that. But this one really stuck out to me um, – and I think we're just going to let this tune speak for itself. Um, Come Madalina. And my fingers are crossed that your wife likes this one. Here it is. Come Madalina from the film Madalena.
triumphant finish that is Come Madalena by the maestro Ennio Morricone from soundtrack to Madalena. Um, I haven't seen that movie. I kind of, after listening to that again, I really feel like I should because whatever that is scoring, it's got to be cool, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that that was an amazing musical journey for sure. I often... I have a fear, personally. I have a fear of... Because I'll, I'll listen to so many soundtracks because I like the music. I have a fear of watching the film and then having all that kind of... Uh, you know, like when you listen to a soundtrack and you don't know what the actual film is, because it's such cinematic music, it often like conjures up certain emotions or feelings or whatever... Yeah. And I often wonder, oh, if, if I watch this movie, I'm going to lose it. It's gone. I'm yep. always going to be connected to a movie. And if the movie's not good, maybe it'll spoil it for me. Yeah. It, look, I, I had a little bit of that with the, the forbidden photos, but not really. I mean, look, the only thing for me is like, if it's good, then that will enhance it for me. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel kind of bad that I haven't seen some of these movies, but... You know, I once heard um, from uh, David J., um, who's a composer who now lives in Melbourne, who um, lived in New York and was kind of in Zorn's circle and makes great records uh, of his own. So it's not just him being great by association. David J. is fantastic, great composer. Um, but he once told me that he maybe met Ennio or, or heard, I mean, this was when we were both really drunk at Bebita in 2012, so I, I feel like I'm <laughs> quoting David potentially, but he said that one of the things Ennio said always was like, that he just really wanted to make a good record, you know, when he when he made a score, he really cared about just like making a really great record for people to listen to and I think that maybe sometimes he was not that enthused with the films I just did a Henry Mancini episode recently as oh, yeah. well. And I think he said a similar thing. He obviously right. his first his first goal is to score the film, but he also wanted it to be uh you know something that people could just put on their stereos and, and listen to. And I think for me definitely with Henry Mancini's music, he you just put on one of his soundtracks and it's literally just like an amazing album. Yeah, totally. And that's the case with a lot of great OSTs, you know. I, I, I wonder what that what was going through everyone's head, you know. I mean, Ennio being one of them, but then, you know, Peter Thomas or Nino Rota or any of these absolute legend, genius musicians. <laughs> yeah, I will say, though, that Ennio Morricone, <laughs> if he's thinking along those lines, he also was certainly not afraid to just create some absolutely disgusting and really avant-garde stuff that most people would not appreciate just sounds putting like, it on the record but sounds, probably was the absolute perfect thing for the film sounds like a great record to me joel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think there's six million angus leslie's in the world but um there should yeah. be the world should be you know what the world should be the world should be the music video of the real Slim Shady, um, but they're all me, um, and yeah, t- and terrorizing Dr. Dre because <laughs> I saw a photo before of like um, we're here off for a second of um, 
Dr. Dre on the Real Slim Shady in the Real Slim Shady music video, surrounded by all the Eminem hair um, kids. <laughs> I'll just give everybody my hair, and then we can all terrorize Dr. Dre because it, it, it needs to happen again in his life. Right after he's had an aneurysm. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we. I'm glad we've got that sorted. So, all right. One thing I wanted to talk about. So, you know, some people might be wondering why. Why do we have the right to speak about Ennio Morricone? Well, unlike probably about seven billion other people in this world, we have a very special, special thing. We actually witnessed the maestro in person. Uh, at one of his concerts. That's right. So, I would love to talk about my concert. We'll listen to a track and then we'll come back and I would love to hear the story that you have about uh, the time you you saw him as well. Oh, oh, it's a story and it's a story all right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I've I've had some extreme luck. You know, I'm I'm a Christian, so I I guess that it's... uh, God has blessed me with these uh, very, very lucky uh, experiences. I am, so I'm a microwave engineer, and every couple of years, um, I'll go to a international microwave engineering con- uh, conference, not concert. So I did not know this about you. You're a microwave engineer. I'm industrial microwave engineer. Yes, that oh. is my, that is my, uh, it's my wow. skill. <laughs> so, fix my microwave. Pardon? Can you fix my microwave? Yeah, that's one thing we don't do. Oh, so they just break. You just, we you literally we build, build them. You we build, build them and you won't fix them. We Sorry. build in industrial microwaves. So <laughs> the microwaves we deal with, like I could probably put you in one of them. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, please don't get it fixed then. <laughs> <laughs> the microwaves you can buy these days from the shops are so cheap that. It costs more to fix it than it would to buy a new one. Uh, but yeah. anyway, so here's my... I'm gonna, I'll try to make this short. But basically, back in 2008, this is the first time this happened to me, um, there was a conference going on in New Orleans. And so wow. at a certain date, we went to New Orleans for this conference and we decided... Uh, so this is me and my dad. I work with my, I work with my dad. And um, we decided... We'll do the conference, we'll be in New Orleans for a week, and we'll spend another week just kind of making our way up through the South of America. Wow. So that was in place. We had someone uh, in Knoxville who was also at the conference, so we're going to meet them at a certain date and stay at their place. And so I'd, you know, you go into America, it's, you, you want to see what music's going on at that time, concerts and stuff. So I, what, I did a little search, and lo and behold, Tom Waits was doing his Glitter and Doom tour Whoa. and one of his dates lined up absolutely perfect with when we were going to arrive at Knoxville. Wow. And so I managed to see a Tom Waits a Tom Waits concert and wow. sold out tour. Um, so that was the first time that this amazing um, coincidence happened. And That's then he doesn't play that he doesn't play all the time. He's, he's kind No, it, this is like, you know, since early 2000s, this could be the only, like, major tour he did, and it was pretty small to begin with. Wow. Yeah, so I managed to see one of those concerts, so that was, that, and that was amazing. So hearing Tom Waits live is... I bet. Unreal. 
in a you know it was a decent sized venue as well but um i i literally had like second back row but wow it was it wasn't a stadium but i did see Ennio Morricone and i did see Ennio Morricone in a more like a stadium kind of environment so yeah. In 2017, another conference, and I'm in uh, the Netherlands. Wow. So, I just... Well, okay, what's going on in the Netherlands during this, basically, probably less than two-week window that I'm there? And lo and behold, Ennio Morricone, about 10 minutes away from where I'm staying, is doing one of his 60 years of music tour shows um, at Rotterdam with the Czech wow. National Symphony Orchestra. Holy shit. And so I, I don't know how that worked out, but it did. Amazing show. Literally, he walks out on stage and the whole audience just stands up. He gets a standing ovation. And I, it, it really felt like for like these thousands of people that that concert was like their way, the audience's way of saying thank you for like 60 years of of music that was like their one moment to do Absolutely. that yeah and people you know i mean in europe he's just you know the people really appreciate music in europe you know <laughs> yeah definitely i mean i haven't been to the netherlands i don't know i don't know what exactly it's like there but it's a nice place it's a nice place well that's a great story joel um i have my own uh, story about seeing ennio morricone but let's 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 listen to a song and we'll come back and listen to your story is that all right Absolutely. So when at the concert, there was probably one song that I, I didn't recognize. And it was this song, Tropical Variation, from the 1996 um, film Nostromo. Not to be confused with the uh, alien spaceship from the movie Alien. But anyway, this is Tropical Variation from 1996. And I think... So this is... I think this is the... Um, Del also song. Cool, cool. It's good to hear some later Enio too. And by the way, I think I I I spoke out of turn earlier. I think U Turn, the the move, the later Morricone movie I mentioned earlier is not from the nineties. I think U Turn is actually from. Yo, no, it is from the nineties. I was I was right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. I, 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 thought, I thought it was from two thousand. But this is from the, the 90s. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear this. I don't know this either. No, this is a great track. So this is a Tropical Variation from 1996 film Nostromo. All right. Thank you. 
right, so that was Tropical Variation from 1996 film Nostromo. That was just great. I really loved that. Uh, I never heard it, and I, I, yeah, I'll be listening to that one again. Yeah, so that the, hearing that live for the first time, it just it grabbed me straight away because it, it has this really uh, a solid driving rhythm that just goes through it, and there's accents. There's classic accents similar to some of the other tracks we've listened to um, mm. with the extra instruments just coming in and going... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Oh, no, it's, I like that it's sort of got a swing feel to it, but it's just... Yeah, it's this odd little melody. Yeah. I... I um, Yeah. I, I, I just feel like um, it's it's good to try and... Because, you know, I, I, have to, I have to go and try and listen to more of his music that existed past the 70s I'm a bit bad with that like I kind of um, you know I haven't enough you know I get really I get really hung up on the 70s because I mean I love a lot of music from the 70s as a lot of people might know even just by hearing the music that I make um, <laughs> well, some of it anyway um, but I mean I guess um, I did see Ennio live um, in 2012 <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear about that actually, because that was in Australia, wasn't it? It was in Adelaide. It was le- look, there were some less than desirable things about the concert. Um, one of the things was that Adelaide Festival, Adelaide Fringe, and the motor Adelaide like motocross or whatever the f- these like loud cars all started <laughs> V eight V eight supercars or something like that. Yeah, V eight cars. Um, they um, they were on at the same time. Uh, as each other and we were there Sex on Toast um, when we were still uh, young and naive um, had booked this little Adelaide Fringe season um, and we played several shows Um, I don't remember how many actually was it two or three we did like we did some promo shows in the um, in the mall and we actually our third promo show to get people down to our gigs was was um was canned because I um we had some material that had some lyrics that was a little bit um a little bit blue um and I said to the guys well we've got to change these lyrics because they're dirty you know and so we changed the lyrics to some to we tried to clean the lyrics up so I was like we're going to make this song instead of what it's about we're going to make it about deep sea diving but it, it honestly, oh, it made, somehow made it worse. It made it worse. I, I suppose it was still innuendos, but um, look, I, I had a cordless microphone, and about at, at that time, if you gave me a cordless microphone, things would go wrong. Um, so I um, I got the cordless microphone, and I, I started working walking into clothes stores while singing and like trying to try things on, and the clothes store people were trying to kick me out, and then. I walked all the way down um, the Rundle Mall um, to McDonald's, and that's I was trying to get a cheeseburger. So, how how far away is this from the from the desk, the mixing desk? Pretty far, man. And it cut out by the time I got to McDonald's, it did cut out. Um, but, um, the, the, <laughs> and how, hey, could you hear? Could you still hear the band? Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of. Yeah, it was kind of loud. But we, um, yeah, we were reprimanded and 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 stripped of our um, stripped of our promotion, our next promotional uh, engagement. 
control. But during this trip, I had bought a ticket um, to Ennio Morricone. Um, uh, he was playing for the Adelaide Festival, and I went along with with Party Tricks, the erstwhile uh, Sex on Toast keyboard player, uh, Gene Litzer and Trent Manassa, who I owed $100 um, for the gig for too long. Um, shout outs to him. I'm sorry that I took too long to pay you back. Um, but we sat down and it was just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I was about to cry. And then these V8 supercars like start roaring up. And, I, and then the, the concert is kind of interrupted by these distant V8 supercars at certain points. Like, I can't believe this. This is one of like the greatest geniuses of all time conducting uh, Australian musicians and we're having to listen to a car race in the background. Yeah, it wasn't good. Did you read about that at the time? Or you- oh, yeah, def- most definitely. I, I, I tried to recently find a video that I could listen to again, but I, I remember someone had recorded something and I'm guessing it didn't go through the whole concert, but what I heard was literally just this kind of hum there's like bees buzzing in the background the int- and you could hear it over the top of the music it kind of reminded me of um, I don't know when when was the was it South Africa um, World Cup soccer or something oh. and they all brought their trumpets and things to the stadium it was just this ensemble of aggressive bees just buzzing in the background <laughs> oh, and that's that's what it reminded me of it was it was less than ideal but it did go away at, at certain points and i i did that day what i what i've done before which is he got a standing ovation of course was incredible even with the motocross and i walked up i walked up real close i walked up as close as i could so i could see him closer yeah. I did that as well at the Maya Music Bowl when I saw Brian Wilson live. I got I got down to right about like the very front of the stage so I could stand right in front of the stage. I watched Brian leave the stage. I watched him just walk off the stage. Like, you know, it's like there's that human being that's so important to me and, and so important to the world. And there they go. It's very yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's experience in the presence of people like that. Now, I mean, yeah. I was talking before about how I'm obsessed with the 70s. Now, the next song that I've picked is from a seminal film um, uh, directed by um, the master of Giallo and also, I guess, zombie films. Um, <laughs> this, but often his films are scored by Goblin. But in this case, um, I mean, Dario Argento, he can do anything, really, to be fair. I mean, he can do, he can do witches, he can do zombies, but this is, a, this is a, one of the great giallo films of all time, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And I want everybody who's listening to please hear the main theme right now <laughs> from The Bird with the Crystal Plumage because it is truly fantastic. All right, let's hit it.
Go for it. Um, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, absolutely fantastic film. Uh, of course, a giallo. Killer with black gloves. Uh, <laughs> different kind of giallo to Lizard with the Skin of a Woman. That's a bit more psychedelic. This is more a murder mystery, um, but it has you on the edge of its seat. Really great cast. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen it. And Joel, you were just asking me before... How do we find these films? Well, there's some stuff on YouTube. Oh, okay. I don't know if there's full, full films on YouTube. Some are. Some of the lesser known ones. I mean, some European films that I used to watch, I've seen, like, you know, some of these European horror films. Like, one of my favorites is The Devil's Nightmare. And I think that's all on YouTube. The Devil's Nightmare, for anybody um, listening, was scored by... Alessandro Ale, Alessandroni who was the guy he was another Italian film composer but he was actually the guy who played all of the guitar I think all the electric surf guitar or maybe just a lot of the guitar and did all the whistling on a lot of any of ah, interesting a great composer in his own right um, but it's uh, I heard Joel that he actually came to Australia and did some gigs <laughs> that would have been cool to see. I think he, there's a, um, a venue uh, called DeVille's that was in Perth 
and I think he perhaps performed there. The guy that owns Deville's is kind of cool. He also used to own the Melbourne venue Luau, R.I.P. Luau, Kiki Bar. Kiki Bar was terrible on stage sound if you play there, but um, <laughs> it's a it's a big it's a big deal bringing anyone out to Australia. Like usually, yeah. some of these more obscure people come out because of a festival. Festival's able to, yeah. I guess, pay for. Yeah. I have to get more info about that, but his scores are, you know, his scores are, The Devil's Nightmare is a really great score and a really great film, but um, we're not talking about Ennio Morricone's sidekick, now are we? <laughs> we're, st- we're certainly not. And spe- <laughs> speaking of sidekicks, mm. that's the perfect, <laughs> it's a perfect segue into the next song. So mm. here we have... Up next, um, I again, I haven't seen this film. I probably should, but... I've been meaning to see this film. I'd like to see it. I like... I see what you've got written here. So, <laughs> from The Hateful Eight, the Tarantino... The recent Tarantino film. Yes, yes. And so, this is... Yeah, th- this is the long one. Um, yeah. We're not shying away from long tracks in this episode. You can take your time and listen to this episode over a couple of weeks, or you can take it all in one go. But there's no doubt you have to listen to this whole song in one go because the slow and steady build and then just the crescendo near the end is just... You just got to take it in. So let's let's listen to it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Oh, right. I'll try and pronounce this again. La Ultima... Diligenza de Red Rock, the last stage of the Red Rock from the 2015 film uh, The Hateful Eight. So let's do it. This is a this is a sinister sinister track. Yeah, dog. <laughs> Thank you. 
Man, that is yeah. that is a sinister track to come from a what an eighty-six-year-old Italian man. That's incredible. I love that. I think I checked that out when it came out, and I still haven't seen the movie. Forgive me, world. But <laughs> yeah, I you know what I read about it was that um, there's sections of it that he's um, taken from old scores. Like there's a bit from the thing, the John Carpenter thing he scored. And there's um, some music from Exorcist 2, um, but it is an original score. And he won the Oscar, which is very um, long. After after decades. Really long overdue. <laughs> I mean, you, you thought it was not what you, you expected or? Uh, no. Uh, so my, my notes are basically, so what I read was, um, so Tarantino, you know, he's been using Morricone songs yeah. for like 20 years or something or maybe even yeah. 25 years and um i think what was it um django unchained i think he used uh or morricone did an original song for that yeah. am i correct yeah, yeah he did well i read somewhere that there was a misquoted article where he um he he did expressed some displeasure about the use of the song but yeah he, he, um, he cleared that up and said that he was misquoted yeah, yeah. So Tarantino, he finally, after all these years, um, gets his he Morricone to, score. He and wanted I think to do, he wanted Ennio to do Pulp Fiction, apparently. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted him to do all his films. Mm. <laughs> but um, I think uh, what I what I read from Morricone quotes and Tarantino quotes, I think Tarantino was expecting a classic. 60s spaghetti western style soundtrack and wow. Morricone said there's no way that he could repeat what he'd already done because you know that just what's the point in, in doing that so yeah. he created something you know fairly new and unique for this new movie and um the music's great and and the way that he the way that he's orchestrated everything down really low at the start is so great yeah it's just like growling at the start isn't it oh yeah and you know um I love the vocals. I love that he's still got those 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 big mask low low male vocals. I love, <laughs> love that. A little, a little bit more masculine than that, maybe. Yeah, I think you need to work on your um, your uh, timbral masculinity there. <laughs> I've I've got children sleeping in the room behind me, so that's the only reason why I don't sound like a gorilla right now. Well, I hope they're yours. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I um, I guess we're coming to the end of the episode, which is, you know, in some ways sad because I'm sure um, we've enjoyed um, um, listening to all of these songs maybe as much as you, the listener, have. And if you know all this music already, um, then... Uh, you know, Start your own podcast. Yeah, get your own podcast. You know? <laughs> but if you're learning something new today, well, we'll also get your own podcast because, you know, everybody is looking for new podcasters to listen to, all right? And, yeah, and the best way to learn something is to teach it, isn't that right? Exactly. So teach something. It might not be this. But also, you know, <laughs> podcasters make millions. Like Joel is making a million dollars an hour from this podcast. He's going to quit the microwave business. I used to do a podcast. Um, I, you know, 
I mean, it's certainly... Um, You've basically retired on that, haven't you? Yeah, I've retired. I'm, I'm actually... I'm moving um, Joel from a small island in the Bahamas that I own um, where I have 25 giraffes and I've taught them how to lift me out of bed in the morning. So what I'm um, going to talk about, because I, I early, I earlier for this last song, it's kind of like almost an upsetting last song. Um, I've been doing <laughs> that in my band sets as well. But um, so I, I covered um, Morricone's pop side, and now I wanted to cover his avant-garde side and non-film scoring side. So this is a group called Grupo de Improvis- Improvisazione. Nuova con how do you say it? Consonanza. Consonanza. Alright, that's my best. Brilliant, brilliant. It's really big words in there. But it's basically NEO and um, a bunch of compo- uh, Italian composers. Um, and they they kind of hung out in studios and made some really odd sounds and he actually played trumpet in it like it's maybe little known that he was a trumpet player originally um but he it's really amazing um yeah i mean it should be youtube as well because you can see them um doing their thing um, oh there's live videos of this is there there are videos yeah um, nice. But some of these, I mean, he used them on his film scores sometimes in the aforementioned avant-garde bits of scores. But it's like it's amazing textural improvisation. Um, you know, little you can really get on go on a little journey with it. You know, little little bloops and you know bloops from trumpets and um, you know you know sucking sounds and whirring and um, <laughs> piano and. It's awesome. It's really awesome, and and I, yeah, it, it really it really makes you understand why Enio loves the um, the unorthodox when it comes to instrumentation and and sound and um, and it, you know they embrace tape music, electronic music, prepared piano, everything you know, and uh, they still were together until 1980. They're still, you know, they're a band, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and look, I, I can't pretend to be an expert about these guys. I've heard it. I've listened to a few records and I've really enjoyed them. Um, but I think it's amazing to note that at the same time as writing, you know, um, the Mina tune, he's off doing this stuff and, and scoring films and just <laughs> generally being a creative wonderful masterful uh visionary and we miss you we miss you Ennio but you made a lot of great work for us to listen to and we are very very uh thankful for that yeah and there's so much to go through and there's so much classic stuff that really we didn't we didn't touch on I guess maybe you you feel the same way as me but I felt like you know the the compilation stuff. Everybody knows that stuff, you know. I think yeah, it's easy to find as well. I think it's important to highlight um, music that people maybe haven't discovered yet. And so if they want to go down that rabbit hole, there's so much stuff, and even the stuff that isn't talked about much is brilliant. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, I'm looking forward to this. I, 
well, it's hard to forget a, a track titled Orgasmo, but... <laughs> yeah, okay. we'll leave you with this. Um, <laughs> Grupo de Improv... Um, Improvisai... Oh, I can do it, I can do it. Grupo de Improvisazione Nuevo Consonanza with Orgasmo. And that's that's it. I'm Angus Leslie. Um, Vault, thanks for having me. Yep, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Definitely a lot of a lot more fun than if I was just going through this on my own. So, well, yeah, thanks man. for coming on the show. What's we'll finish with this, and I'll play an outro, an outro track as well. We have to play "Ecstasy of Gold." That's you know, that's a that's a classic that we can't miss. Absolutely. And I would love to play a "Sex on Toast" track after that. Great. So Well, uh, let's go with um, let's go with. Uh, actually, no. <laughs> are you gonna say? Are you gonna say it all again? No, I was gonna say let's go with the song. Try, try it out. The first track from our first full-length LP. Um, I think that that's got the middle section of that um, is a is a big explosion of ridiculous guitar solos, um, bombastic keyboards and, and and arranging that I think maybe suits the the flavor that we've got going here. Yeah, and so we played the tone. Can you just explain the difference between the tone A version and the original version? Because we did play the tone oh. A version on our last episode. Well, the tone A version of Try It Out. So we're not playing Try It Out. We're going to be playing Let and Go. But oh yeah, of course. Sorry. But that's okay. I can explain the difference between <laughs> the tone A version of songs and the maybe the original version or the Ricky version. Tone A is just a way to funnel any songs. Through the through the um, the I guess the talk box. Well, that's getting <laughs> yeah, totally. You we 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 funnel a song through a stylistic set of stylistic rules um, that uh, I mean we're not really doing like we kind of did the Tone era already, but the 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 rules of Tone is uh, basically you know. It's you, you're you're drawing more from New Jack swing styles, from uh, you know electro funk, you know anything anything hard hitting that kind of is synth based, drum machine driven. Maybe there's a talk box, absolutely big synthesizer synthesizer explosions. So with the song "Try It Out," we have the original more um, 1960s 70s soul arrangement of it, and I was thinking about the song one day and I thought well this would totally suit a tone arrangement we could totally make this into like a tone slow jam <laughs> in the style of Johnny Gill or something so we again we pushed it through the funnel and it's come out but I, I spent hours dreaming of different strange arrangements of our tunes and uh, one day maybe um, the world will hear said arrangements and not, I hope we do because not, not, all the arrangements you've pumped out so far have, have been literally amazing well i appreciate that so much joel and i i must say right now that i enjoy your music as well and i and i'll say to the listeners i've known this guy for a long time and once he drove all the way from wollongong i didn't i i, I caught a plane oh okay i'm so glad that you got a plane but you still came all the way to wollongong to see an umlaut show yeah what was it like two thousand kilometers that's pretty. That's a long. That's a long time. Yeah. and I think it was a. It was an umlaut 
uh, slash Sex on Toast show, I think. Oh, it was It was like Sex on Toast, Feet Bear, McKinnon, and we learned all the Bears songs. And then I took you out to see a grindcore band later, and you, had, and you left. You didn't like it. But no, no, I remember that. I just had to get up like super early to catch my plane. Ah, that we're was... not flights. Well, thanks again. It for was... Yeah, it was a great experience. Back back in the days when I still lived at home and could afford to just fly down halfway across the country to watch some of my favorite musicians. So thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, mate. And we'll uh, we'll stay in touch. Yeah. And to so all the listeners, um, just stay clean, stay hydrated, and listen to some Ennio Morricone because it's good for you. <laughs> Except for the except for the really bad stuff that'll destroy your mind on the inside, but it's a good challenge for the soul. Yeah, yeah, you must listen to that stuff. You must listen <laughs> to that. And with that, we will we will we will um, we will leave you with some of it. Comment you with this song, Orgasma, by by the band's name that I'm not going to try and say again because I'm not Italian. All right, signing off. All right, au revoir. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, thank you for tuning in to another bonus No Rules Rules episode of Vault Supreme's Synth VGM Dream Stream Machine podcast. The podcast where we usually listen to music completely different to this, but we had to check out Ennio Morricone, one of my favorites. Thank you again, Angus Leslie, for coming on the show. We're now going to leave you with the disturbing piece, Orgasmo, and then... Sex on Toast, Letting It Go, or Letting Go, and then finally, one of the greatest songs of all time, Ecstasy of Gold, by the amazing Ennio Morricone. All right, stay synthetic, folks, and we'll be back for season two soon.